0: Okay, I'm Hannah Weisberg, this is In Conversations with Hannah, and our conversations are always with incredibly inspiring and interesting people who are on wonderful journeys of life. So today we have a wonderful guest with us. Her name is Lana Tierski, Dr. Lana Tierski, and she's going to share with us a little about her journey. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lana. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hannah. Um, So it was very interesting. I was listening to you tell about your story, and I asked you to join us on here because I found your journey and your story so fascinating, at the same time so relatable, so much of what so many people are going through. So can you share with us a little about your story, a little about yourself, and then we'll get
1: into this. Sure. Well, I'll start out by saying, you know, the journey is a journey. Right. And as the journey of life is a journey, the journey towards, you know, learning more observance or learning more Torah or even just learning about your observance or even understanding what God or the Torah is, is a journey. It's right. a journey, absolutely. It, it is a journey. Um, I learned everything I learned in Hebrew school was wrong. You know, so,
0: it's like the book yeah. "Everything I Needed to Learn in, in Life I Learned in Kindergarten," but no, <laughs> it wasn't, I guess it's all, it's all wrong.
1: Um, so that you know, that was a bit eye-opening, but. In terms of my um, background, I grew up in Chicago, uh, in the suburbs of Chicago, about a mile. It was freezing away. cold. I just got back from there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Much colder. It was funny this past weekend. I said to my kids when it was very cold here in New York, I said, it was like, you know, five degrees. I said, this is how I grew up, guys.
0: Right except uh, when it was five degrees here, it was like minus 20 there. <laughs> With we
1: no, snow,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So I grew up about an hour out of the city and um, um, I grew up in a home you would consider like very Jewishly identified. My mother was very proud of being Jewish. My father as well. We went to synagogue on my holidays, um, but it was not an observant home um in the sense we didn't keep kosher we didn't keep shabbat um you know we didn't keep most of the laws other than going to synagogue you know um on the high holidays and very very
0: typical jewish proud jewishly proud um you know american jew nowadays
1: yeah. And um, when my mother had moved into that area, she had moved up, out of you know living in Chicago and sort of like a Jewish little enclave in the 60s. And then she moved out to these suburbs and she particularly chose that suburb. One is financial reasons. And the other was there was a reform synagogue on the corner. Right? So she figured, well, this is going to be okay.
0: Right.
1: And um, Then when it came time for my siblings to go to high school, and my sibling closest in age is seven years older, so they're all quite a bit older, um, she decided to send them to religious high school. And the reason why she decided to send them is a bit of an interesting history. Um, My sisters relate, it's because she felt it was really time that they have a solid Jewish education. Um, which was important to her because, you know, she identified strongly, you know, as being Jewish and didn't feel they were learning as much as she'd like. Um, But the other story is, is that my brother was a handsome man, blonde, blue eyed, tall, was starting dating age. And she wanted to, um, you know, him to meet other Jewish girls, which was very difficult uh, where we lived. Okay. So but,
0: like meeting someone Jewish and marrying someone Jewish. And you you do speak about that in your story as well, how that was
1: so important to her. Yeah, so important to her, which is funny because I used to joke with my friends and, you know, I don't know if this is the best thing to say to a public audience, but, <laughs> but <laughs> in my house, it was like, you could do whatever you wanted to do. Like you can say, Oh, hi mom. I'm taking a trip to, you know, Florida tomorrow with my friends driving up. And she'd be like, all right, is that what you want to do? Go ahead, be safe. You know, but if you told her you were dating someone non-Jewish, that was it. So, um, it was extremely important to her. And, um, Anyway, so my um, sisters went to religious high school in, um, I'm sorry, religious high school. And um, from that standpoint, became religious and stayed religious. And recently we were talking about why, and both of them felt that being religious added to their lives in a significant way. And that it added meaning and a, you know, a sense of focus that they felt otherwise wasn't there. Interesting. And then... We'll
0: get get a little bit more into that about you, but you didn't feel that way at that point until No,
1: no, not at all. Um,
0: You you expressed how you felt that it was just the opposite of leading a meaningful life. That was very shackling and... And how did you feel about it as a Jewish woman as well? Like you had a certain preconceived notion, I guess, that it was just
1: very unliberating. Oh, well, you know, in my teenage years, you know, I thought that, you know, becoming a more observant Jew meant living this authoritative, male-dominated, rule-bound hierarchy. And, you know, my brain couldn't wrap around that because why on earth would anyone want to go from the freedom of living life to all of a sudden having to be following a bunch of rules set by old men? Of course. <laughs> so what changed? Um, well, you know, what changed, you know, it. Um, took a lifetime to change, right? It certainly did not change overnight. You know, there were no cherubs that flew down and said, please, please join us or anything of that nature. Um, But I think the real change started um, when my husband and I had our own children, And, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I have a higher degree. My husband has a higher degree. So first thing, you know, we approach everything very academically and we're like, okay, we're very proud of being Jewish and we're going to have these children who we want to teach to be proud of Jewish. But if we're going to give them a choice about, you know, being more Jewish, more observant or what their level of choice of Judaism is going to be. We can't teach that, right? We can't do that. We don't know enough. So we sent them to day school and, um, we also became much more involved in our Chabad and we were very involved in our Chabad and, you know, that's pretty much where we remained, um, until more recently and then more recently, um, it evolved to where we are now, but I just want to digress and tell you like a story that's relevant. Absolutely. Uh, When my son, um, who's now 18 and will be going to yeshiva next year, hopefully he just finished his application. So fingers (laughs) crossed Um, in Israel. um, So 10 years ago when he, um, you know, was about eight um, he and his two older sisters were going to a day school near our house um, in um, Mawa, New Jersey. And um, for various reasons, he couldn't continue there. And neither. Um, it, he. It was just time for him to leave. And um, that was a big upheaval. But it was something you know that we had to do, so we went to one of uh, the local schools, which wasn't so local. It was about thirty miles away. I'm sorry, thirty minutes away, but it was a very observant school. So it wasn't like the school they were in, which was more sort of pluralistic and um, not as observant. The only other schools really in the area to even consider, even though this was still a half hour away, mm-hmm. was more observant. And when I brought him in, um, and was also the prospect of bringing, bringing in three children because I would have moved everyone over, you know, I asked the admissions counselor sort of point blank, I said, Well, how do you, I said, do you think my children will fit in here? I said, I understand that most of the children here are more observant. You know, my children are not. Do you think that will be a problem for them socially? And, um, she said to me, she goes, well, it's not a problem at all. Um, Dr. Tierski, we're very open to people who are in transition. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time being so angry because I was not in, in right. my mind, I was not in transition. I was perfectly happy with the Jew that I was. Right. right. I took regularly. My kids went you know, to day school and even Hebrew school. We celebrated the holidays. What was there to transition? <laughs> right? Um, so needless to say, they did not continue there. And, uh, and the irony, if you want to call it an irony is I was back at that same school um, in 2021 with my two youngest in transition. In transition. Interesting. Is that where your children go now? Um no it's not that school it was a different school but i was back at that same school and this time you know it was quite different but i think um there was there was an event that you know i like to think about um as I said, it's a journey. So there were many small things along the way that, you know, led to the transition, like one small thing, which was actually a huge thing was um, a few years ago, I don't even remember how long I said to my rabbi, who is, who's really wonderful. um, I said to him, I said, Rabbi, you know, when we learn about things in the Torah and we learn about, you know, the Bible and, you know, even the laws and the rules. I said, I agree with that. As a psychologist, it makes total sense. Shabbat as a psychologist makes total sense. Time to do with your family, time to unplug, time to have unity with other people, time to find meaning in the world, time to have gratitude and appreciation. There's, not, there's no one that can deny the logic of that and the sense of that. So I said, so there are, you know, most of the Torah that I know, I agree with. But what sort of holds me back is I'm not sure I believe in God, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, just like I would have revealed to him that I had a turkey sandwich for lunch. He's walking while he's telling me this is not an issue for him. He goes, okay, good. We're not a religion of faith, so don't worry about it. We're a religion of action. Do, you know, more mitzvot or good deed. And, you know, your mind will learn these things and follow accordingly. And, um... So he said the main thing is just do, just
0: do things. And he knew that that would change you? Yeah. Do you believe in God now?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, what changed? (laughs) changed? Well, like I said before, um, I didn't know what God was. Right. I didn't believe in God because I thought God was a man with a long white beard (laughs) sitting sitting on a throne. Right. You know, wagging his finger, and you
0: didn't want that God because who would want that God, right?
1: yeah, I don't want that God, right, yeah. you know, and then when you pray and you and you don't know otherwise, and you don't know what the prayers are and who and what you're praying to, you're praying to something that sounds like you know um my God, my king, you know, ruler of all. You think you're talking to a guy sitting in the throne. Sure, sure. And and what does God mean to you now? What does God mean to me now? I mean, one thing I love is that Judaism allows for the fact that we can accept that we might not fully understand what God is. Mm -hmm. So that to me is a relief. That's beautiful. Because it takes the pressure off me from knowing exactly
0: absolutely and we're talking about something so unknowable you know so confined to you can't confine him to human intellect so that 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 makes
1: a lot of sense what you're saying yeah so like that's a relief but to me you know um it's interesting though cuz we we titled
0: this uh you know how a pink a hot pink washing cup <laughs> transformed my life so how did this hot pink Washing up, transform
1: your life. Well, what I, are, you know, uh, my, my rabbi also every day in his Saturday sermons. Who, who is your rabbi? Just to give oh. him credit. He's so amazing. And it's not just my rabbi, it's my Rebbitson as well. Always oh, the
0: Rebbitson, right. Yes,
1: <laughs> who um, is incredible as well. So it is the Chabad um, of Northwest Bergen County. And it's Rabbi Hanoch Kaplan and Mimi Kaplan. Wonderful people. Yeah. And anyway, um, so I picked my daughter um, up from camp, which is also a wonderful camp, which is um, a Chabad camp. And it's uh, Camp Gan Israel in the Poconos that is also served by an incredible director and his wife, who were also, I feel, gifts to have come into my life because I learned a lot for them. But anyway, uh, one summer I was picking up my daughter from camp and um, she is every bit a typical sixth grader at that point, you know, and when my daughter went to camp, like all of her, her two older siblings had went. So she had felt very comfortable there. And, you know, so when it came to the packing list, she didn't ascribe to the packing list. She even had like a rollaway cart with shelves and all these things. So I go to pick her up and strewn about her is hoodies and stuffed animals and all of her suitcases and the rolling cart. But in her hands, she has grasped onto this hot pink, a wash cup with her name in Hebrew in, in uh, rainbow letters, and you know yeah, our I, listeners that might not know what a washing cup is. Do you want to explain what we do with a washing cup? Um, sure. Um, we in the morning we wash our hands right as we awaken to sort of symbolize that we're readying ourselves for the day, for our connection to God, and to have a meaningful experience. And then we say the morning prayers. Right. So she was holding this hot pink washing cup. Right. Name on it. Yeah. Right. And it is among observant households a very typical um, you know, uh, routine part of life. Um, but if you're not coming from an observant household, it may not be the first, you know, part of your routine that comes to mind. Of course. (laughs) Right. So I see you're standing and like grasping this hot pink wash cup, you know, and in that moment, I was just like, had so much awe for the fact that here is my daughter, my, you know, my everyday, you know, child having just spent a month immersed in a world of observance because that's what they do at camp. And from that experience, after being immersed in that world for a month, she comes home with and holds on to you know, the meaning and the significance and the purpose, you know, of observance and it's fun and joyous, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like a hot pink wash cup with her name. It's not like um, a blank, uh, you you know, stainless steel basin. Right. You know, it is like, you know, joyful and fun and I asked her if she knew what it was, because I thought, okay, well, maybe this was just like a souvenir she took home, you know, and wasn't even quite sure what what it was for. And she looks at me, you know, with that 12-year-old look of, oh, God, you don't know anything. (laughs) And um, she says to me, she goes, God. (laughs) Well, she didn't say that. She implied that. She's like, it's a negelvaser, which is the Hebrew word for wash cup you know, and I just took away from that, that my children are learning that even routine daily, you know, uh, deeds that might seem mundane are actually something fun and joyous and meaningful and can be taught that way. And for me, that that was a profound shift because hmm. that was not the Judaism I grew up with hmm. right i like i said i'm learning what god is now i'm learning what the torah is now like i didn't know what the torah was you know i didn't know the torah was a book that gave us guidelines to have a connection to god and to live a life of connection meaning and unity i thought it was a book of rules that kept a group of people cohesive Right. Interesting. History, with history thrown in, right? So I mean, I didn't even know what the Torah was, which is kind of in, you know, which is sort of mind boggling, if you will. But for my daughter, what I was gonna say is Rabbi is always saying, and Mimi, that the miracles of God are all around us if we just look, right? Mm-hmm. And we and we can just see. And I think we're always looking for like these big, um, you know, like I said, we're waiting for the cherubs to come down and anoint us and take away the pain or the anxiety or change the situation. But just in that situation, I realized like st- this situation with my daughter and this wash cup, hmm. you know, in a sense, well, not in a sense, for me, was a small miracle because not only was I able to see my child enjoying a life of meaning and purpose, even in you know, doing routine things, I was able to appreciate it as well. And I feel that it's no less than miraculous, right? (laughs) That my camera could shift, right? Absolutely. It's
0: miraculous because so often, you know, a lot of people would feel intimidated by their children bringing that home or might feel like, am I not good enough, you know, in my kitchen or my cooking? And yet you seem to just have this open attitude towards it. So that is very miraculous in a sense that you were open to it and saw the beauty in it rather than just put up this like brick fence against it.
1: Well, normally had it happened even since months before, what the thinking in my head would have been was, um, first I would have been, I would have been thrilled. I saw her right. And then I would have looked at all the stuff around her and I would have been focused on, oh my God, this is so much stuff. We have to get it into the car. Now we're going to be late. We're going to get stuck in rush hour. And by the time we were home, I wouldn't have been thinking about the beauty of the Negovos, or I would have been resentful at my husband for making me drive out. I would have come home and had an argument with him that it wasn't fair that I did both driving and picking up.
0: Right. Because we get so involved in the minuet the tiny parts of life that we forget to look at the whole picture. You know, yeah. those special moments. Um, but you know, you're you're a very educated woman as well as your husband, and you've spent, you know, you're you're a doctor of psychology, and you've been in practice, private practice for many years. How did it feel to start learning some of the basics again? You know, it must have been like somewhat humbling to start now learning things that maybe you're, you like you said your daughter was rolling her eyes like it's a nickel buster thing don't you know ma <laughs> you know how did, how did that feel and how does it feel
1: well i mean one thing is I, just as a person i've always been very open to learning you know even with within my field i still do advanced training in psychotherapy so um it's the notion growing I'm open, you know. I've always been open, you know, to growing, and, you know, I think um, it certainly is humbling, right? It is certainly humbling to admit, you know, that at fifty three, I'm figuring out what God is, what the Torah is, you know. Um, you know, I I think I should know that at this point. Well, I do think I know what the Torah is now. I got to give myself a little credit. But you I, I think we're
0: all figuring out what God is in our lives. As, as we continue to mature in our lives, we continue to conceptualize and feel it more. So I don't think you should feel at all like intimidated by that or, you know, less than anybody in that. Because it's I think that's the beauty that it's an ongoing learning experience. But I'm sure there are points where you have felt, you know, certain basics that you were learning was hard and probably hard to change. You know, the older we get, I think the more used to we, the more used to we are in our circumstances and how we do things and our habits. And here you're just trying to change so much.
1: I mean, it is, you know, it's very difficult in the sense of, you know, um, trying to change habits and, you know, having to learn new things and consistently being humbled. Like when my 10 year old comes home from day school and tells me I'm, you know, not doing something correctly or, you know, my 18 year old corrects me in a conversation because he learned something with a rabbi that I didn't know about. And I have a daughter who spent a year in Israel at a seminary and like she's my go to. You know, (laughs) like, Jesse, is this right or is that right? Um, You know, that's why I think it's a journey. You know, some parts of the transition were very, were much easier given, you know, who we are as a family, like keeping our house kosher, koshering our house, aside from the fact it took three weeks and quite quite a bit of labor. We're not, you know, in our house, we're not like really foodies. Most of the food in our house is really kosher anyway, because you don't realize how many products are kosher. So it was really just, you know, keeping things separate, you know. But other things are extremely difficult, like, you know, um, you know, keeping Shabbat or, you know, learning all the rules of Yom Tov or, you know, um, which holidays are like a Yom Tov or not, you know, there's a tremendous amount to learn. And even with keeping Shabbat, like, you know, we're making this wholehearted effort to keep in sh- to keep Shabbat, but then I'll go into the bathroom and automatically turn off the light as I leave. Right. Of course, of course. You know, or. Um, so I what, think- what part of it do you like
0: best or what part, what mitzvah do you feel like most connected to?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say it's two. Well, three. 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 One is learning Torah. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Because
1: you keep on doing that, which is beautiful because we all keep doing that. Because there's so much to learn. Exactly. And I'm a person who like loves the nuance and intricacy and interpretation and reinterpretation. So, the complexity of it. Um, and I mean, something I love just about trying to meet, um, trying to just bring more Torah into the household in general and live in a more observant lifestyle is you know, the direction and purpose and meaning, you know, it brings to my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I think you heard me say this before, like, you know, in my office, you know, so many people come in without a feeling of connection to others or not feeling that they have any purpose and direction. And here, like as a Jewish person, I have one built in, you know. Has
0: it changed your approach at all in, in terms of as a doctor, as a, as a
1: psychotherapist? Yes, it has. And I don't think I should admit it because the psychology police might come get me because we're not supposed <laughs> to be mixing religion and theory. Um, I joke with my husband about that. But it's changed what I do concretely. Um, sometimes rabbi will say something in a, you know, um, you know, Saturday sermon that I think benefited me tremendously, but I think it would benefit other people. Um, and, uh, one week he was talking about us all being strugglers mm. and that how life is a continual struggle between, you know, trying to achieve, um, trying to refine yourself more, you know, trying to spend each day refining yourself to a higher level and not looking back if you don't. Hmm. Right. And that there's always a push and pull between, you know, trying to live a life, you know, of, you know, greater refinement being, you know, pulled back into just, you know, the mundane everyday needs And so often I'll have people in my office beating themselves up because they did what they knew they weren't supposed to do and they can't get over the fact that they did it and why did they do it and that they're a bad person for having done it, whether it's take a drink or, you know, look at their phone if they have vowed not to or or binge or whatever it is. And, um, you know, I had one patient where I actually said, Um, who I know is, who's not Jewish, but I know is a religious person. So, you know, it's very patient specific who you say this to. You certainly won't say it to every patient. She's not Jewish. And I said to her, um, I know she has respect for the fact I'm Jewish. So I said to her, I said, you know, my rabbi said something Saturday that I think might help you. Hmm. You know, he reminded us that we're all strugglers. Hmm. That it's always a struggle to do better, to try more, to try to move ahead. But what's important is that we let yesterday go and just try for the next day. And um,
0: so yeah. that isn't something that you would have done years ago, like thought of years
1: ago. No, because I didn't know it years ago. <laughs> But I, I think, like oh, aside from concretely bringing things in that I've learned, I think the mo- thing most overall that it's changed in my approach is, I think psychotherapy in general, you know, is biased towards the individual right? The individual recognizing their needs, the individual, you know, separating from their family, the individual uh, knowing how to set boundaries around themselves. And although all those things are vital, right? If you don't know who you are and have a strong sense of identity and good self-esteem, you're not going to be able to function. But then I think psychotherapy um, theory stops short, Of emphasizing, and not all the theories, some more than others, stop short of then emphasizing, okay, well, you are an individual, you've set your boundaries, you know, you know who you are, but then emphasizing the importance of connection to others Mm -hmm. and um, having a humility that allows you to put other needs before your own hmm. without losing a sense of who you are. Right. And you feel that Judaism teaches that? Well, I do. I do. I do. I think, um, you know, and that's what I was going to say was one of the things that I find very, you know, positive about judaism is that it allows me to take the focus off me you right. know and to me there's a tremendous relief in that that it's okay to be focused on my children right i have permission to do that and i haven't lost myself in my children at most of the time <laughs> <laughs> right. most of the time i'm pretty good um or my husband, you know, or, you know, whatever the situation is, you know, it allows me to be connected in a way that is meaningful and important and not have to justify that. Mm. And at the same time, feel that, you know, I'm an individual. I think it allows more room. It allows me to cultivate that sort of duality, in a meaningful and important way, um, that's psychotherapy doesn't do.
0: That's that's fascinating because I think as a society we're so into, you know, art our, like ourselves, our boundaries, and what we need, our needs, and validating ourselves. And it's it's interesting how you put it that it allows you, it gives you the permission to actually think about another person and and find that you don't lose yourself in the process which is really what judaism is so much about thinking about others and your place in the world in terms of others but that that doesn't lose your own sense of self that's a very interesting way of of looking at it that's that's really quite interesting yeah um how how did you how do you feel other people respond to your transition to your journey your colleagues your family uh, friends how do people react when you have made this transition so much later in life or are on the journey to making the transition because we're all on the journey Um, Um, how do others relate to you and feel about
1: you or even your patients have they noticed it um well you know different people have responded differently you know my sisters who are observant who are thrilled and they were able to stay at my house and sleep at my house and eat and you know they were thrilled and i hear them sharing you know more of their thoughts about things that are more deeply personal than they would before okay. i think i think because i think I understand at a different level. Not that we weren't close before, Mm -hmm. but now, you know, it's things that might be considered more, you know, mystical or whatnot they're willing to share. Um, My colleagues, I was telling Mimi this, think I've drunk the Kool-Aid, so to (laughs) speak, And um my friends, I'm fortunate that many of my friends are from Chabad. Mm-hmm. So they are very open and, you know, embracing of the, you know, transition. And um you know, it does become, I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. There are things about it that are very difficult, like, you know, me and, my you know, we would meet at a certain diner that's right in between all of us. Well, now there's no more diner in between all of us. The diners are actually over near me, which are far from them, right? right? Which are a half hour. But, you know, we'd settle it by meeting in between. So now where is it that we go? right? Because, you know, I don't want to meet them at the diner. So, you know, or, you know, um, another woman who's a friend of mine is having a bat mitzvah for for her daughter, and she's not serving kosher, right? She's just going to have a bat mitzvah. Just, you know, she's just having the bat mitzvah. And so then she says to me, she knows to get kosher for my children. But then she goes. Oh my God! Do I have to get kosher for you too? And then I feel like stuck in a position where I don't want to embarrass her, I don't want to burden her, but at the same time, the answer is yes. Sure. So you know, um, you know, I find myself in that position. But I think the hardest, you know, those situations are hard emotionally. Right. But w- once I get past it with a friend, it becomes no issue. They just know this is how Lana is, and we're not going to meet for food. We're going to meet for something else. Right. But the hardest, you know, is my colleagues who, you know, um, they're perfectly willing to join me on the part of the journey that is intellectual and makes sense. Like, they will not deny the notion that a keeping of a Sabbath where you're with your family and have quiet time makes perfect sense, right? Um, They won't, you know, deny even that keeping kosher makes sense because it gives you a cohesive identity with, with a group. But once you mention the word God or divine, that's when, you know, I lose them. Hmm. So a higher
0: being or higher purpose doesn't really, doesn't really go.
1: Um, it, You know, it's very interesting because some of them are even like yoga practitioners and the notion, you know, of a higher being or a higher force or connective force um, is something they believe in. Right. I would think so. You know, so that is fine but a higher force that requires all these rules to relate to
0: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of details right I think that's where you know they feel washing it. cup like a hot pink washing cup exactly <laughs> like why on earth would you need a hot pink washing cup <laughs> you know when there's this divine force out there that just feels good gives unity and you know we could. It's you the know, god of the details. Right. Do you, feel that
0: you, do you feel that you're missing out on anything in your transition, in your journey?
1: Definitively, no. Wow. That's a really strong no. Yeah. Definitively, no. I feel it adds more by far than it takes away. Now, admittingly, that's part of my lifestyle, right? You know, I wasn't... Um, you know, I mean, I don't even know what you would be doing with <laughs> that. Would, but um, so maybe it's it's just who I am. I mean, but definitively, no. I mean, in terms of kosher, as I had mentioned, my, my husband and I, our family really aren't foodies. So making our house kosher was not an issue. Um Keeping the Sabbath and trying to Um, I don't find an issue because, okay, one day I'm not doing these things. I can do them on Sunday. You know, this is not a big deal for the reward it gives at the other end for the, you know, I'm not just doing it as I would have thought at 13 to follow a bunch of rules that I was supposed to follow because some man wrote them down in a book you know, 3000 years ago, I'm doing them for a reason. I'm doing them to feel a greater connection to, you know, my heritage and other people. I'm doing that to bring, you know, um, joy and light into my home and a sense of meaning and purpose for my children who see me doing these things. So the payoff is worth any um, restriction. But my husband isn't as far along as I am in the journey. So that sometimes becomes di- difficult. I mean, overall, he's extremely supportive, right? But, you know, he still wants to go to a regular restaurant. Sure. Right? So how do you w- handle that conflict? Um. Well, thank God. Mm-hmm. I I live in an area that's like, three miles from numerous kosher restaurants. <laughs> so that definitely definitively helps. You know, but it's bigger than that, right? He wants to plan the cruise or plan a vacation and having to find a kosher cruise or a um, you know kosher vacation for the kids and me when my daughter who's in from Israel who's become observant is with us, he has no problem. Right. So for Passover break, he's 100 percent on board with scheduling like, you know, a, you know, a cruise that will be kosher and celebrate the Sabbath. He has no issue, you know, um, with me, you know, as as I'm transitioning more. I'm trying to not have con, you know, because he's so respectful and in general, like, you know, if I'm tired at 830 at night and I go to grab a fork and I grab the wrong law and he'll say, isn't that a meat fork? Right. <laughs> if I'm having yogurt, right? right? I don't want to antagonize him. Um, but, and he's said many times that he'll support any lifestyle, but I worry about him missing out. Right. Sure. Or, so you're sensitive to his needs, which is important. You know, I don't want him to not go on the cruise he wants to go on yeah. because I can't go on that cruise. It should be my sacrifice, not his. Um, so, you know, it's those kinds of things are a, are a balance. Of course. You
0: know. Is, you know, any couple has that kind of balance in other areas of their lives. So it's, it's all about, I guess, a give and take in any relationship and how you navigate it, right? To not to be sensitive to the other's needs while making sure you set
1: firm boundaries about what your needs are. Sure. I mean, if one member of the couple, you know, couple is a big sports fanatic and the other isn't. And, the, you know, the person involved in sports wants to spend every Sunday at the ball field and the other wants to do things with the kids. You know, you come to uh, you come. To a an agreement on how it works for both of you, hmm. right? As long as you're
0: both, you know, sensitive to each other's needs and your understanding of where each person is at. What, is there any um, message that you would say to your younger self at this point?
1: <laughs> All the time, I say, you know, why in the heck did I not do this? At thirteen, it would <laughs> so much easier. It would have been like a thousand times easier because you know you asked me like, is it humbling at you know your age to learn all these things? It's it's challenging. You know, humbling is part of it, but it's like relearning your entire life. Sure, of, of course. course, it's hard. It's of hard. Course.
0: It is hard, right? But on the other hand, like you just said, you know, you're at 13. You might have accepted certain things with a much more limited understanding, whereas now you're everything that you're taking on seems to have so much more depth to it
1: and meaning. Yeah, no, I mean, it would have been much easier. You know, I joke at 13, of course, because then I could have been, you know, built an adult lifestyle around the things I want to do. For instance, keeping Shabbat would have not been a question because it would be a lifestyle I know and I wouldn't have to force myself to remember not to, you know, turn off the lights or on the lights. You know, it would just be habit. But, you know, I figure, you know, It's, it's the way, you know, God wanted it to be. And this was, you know, this was the time that I was set to learn it, you Mm -hmm. know, not at 13. And I think it's for the reasons you said, if I had embraced it at 13, maybe I would have never embraced it in the same way or with as much depth and meaning, right?
0: Oh. It would have been habit, but it wouldn't have been something that you're actively thinking about and pursuing and taking on, you know, with with your whole self at this right. point in life. Right. Um, there are a lot of different people that are out there listening who might be thinking, you know, maybe they want to embrace some part of Judaism or take a step in their observance. What advice would you give them or what thoughts would you like to share with them as your
1: parting thoughts? Well, if they're watching Mm Chabad.org, the thing I recommend, and this is something actually I do recommend to my patients, is go to your local Chabad and go for fun of it. Start there. You know, go for a, whether it's a woman's class or a men's class or a woman's, you know, holabake or. Certainly the children's programming is incredible. And I encourage people to go to their local Chabad and start there because that's where I believe there, you know, and through my children going to a Chabad camp, learned that the Judaism that I learned as a child, which in many ways was a turnoff, is not the same Judaism that I'm embracing as an adult. Mm -hmm. And Chabad, you know, emphasizes, you know, what is joyful, what is beautiful, what is meaningful, and it emphasizes, you know, connection. And those are such important things. And the other thing I think about Chabad that's so attractive, you know, to so many people is that it's very accepting mm-hmm. right you don't have to be anything right you That's could be in terms of level of observance at archabad there's people like me moving up the journey uh, one of my best friends um comes from a mixed marriage you know she's jewish and her husband isn't um her poor husband hears a ton about Judaism when it comes to things, but you know he's not jewish um you know, and there's many couples you know that are mixed marriages, and you know I'll leave you know just with a funny note about you know the open and accepting nature, what I think is very important because that extends to you know rabbis and Mimi's open nature extends to how the congregation in general accepts newcomers. Very true. Right. In that they're in general, very open to people. And I think a lot of Chabad's are that way. Mm-hmm. So one time I was trying to get my daughter, my oldest who's the least affiliated, to go to synagogue with me on a Saturday. And she said, Mom, I can't go. I have nothing to wear. <laughs> And I said, Rachel, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> if you showed up to show on a Saturday in shorts and a half top, Rabbi would be so thrilled you were there. He could care less what you're wearing. Correct. Right. Absolutely. That's beautiful. So um, she did go to show with me. And not in shorts and a half top. I think she did at least agree to wear jeans, <laughs> the half top. I don't quite remember, but she did put on some jeans. Right,
0: right, absolutely. Okay, Lana, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Matierski. Um, good luck in all your future journey, um, as we all journey through life, as we all hope to grow and, and, and learn and gain and become better people. Um, you're certainly an inspiration in where you've come from and where you've gotten to. And I wish you and your family tremendous luck in the future and tremendous success in
1: going forward and continuing to, to pursue that meaningful life. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it and uh, hope to speak with you again.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Okay. Take-